Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. A Gentle Thief, a work of fiction written and performed by Amanda Dixon, inspired by true events. In Episode 1, we met Sophie Brownlee as she began her legal career in Las Vegas. She received a case at the beginning of her first week that rocked her to her core. This is Episode 2. In Episode 2, we meet Madeline Ruth Johnson, a 12-year-old girl growing up in Pennsylvania, the only child of Cookie and Ike Johnson, who call her Maddie. And Maddie is trying to find her place in the world with parents who are headed for divorce. And now Episode 2 of A Gentle Thief. Pennsylvania, 1972. Maddie never thought her father would leave her. She had felt sorry for him from her earliest memory, the way his eyes would look when her mother was yelling at him, the way he wouldn't fight back, the way he'd try to protect her from her mother's anger. He wouldn't let anything happen to her. It would pass. He never told her it would pass. She just knew. She knew that no matter how long her mother screamed, no matter what she said, eventually it would stop. Her mother seemed to just get tired, physically spent from the effort of it, and fatigued by her husband not fighting back. Are you just going to sit there and not say anything? Her mother would challenge. Her father wouldn't move. Not his lips, not a muscle. Her mother would stare her father down, letting her words sink in, willing him to fight back. But he wouldn't. He just looked at her. He maintained eye contact. At least Maddie thought he did, but he never spoke. She wasn't even sure he was hearing the words her mother was saying. Maddie was born in July of 1960, and now at age 12, she and her dad were war veterans. She had figured out when she was five or six that the reason she had so many daddy-daughter dates was because it wasn't safe to be at home if her mother was there. It was better to come home from school, make sure the house was clean, dirty clothes in the laundry room, no socks on the floor, and then go out with dad somewhere before her mother got home from her job at the insurance company. She and her dad would go to the library, the mall, a walk around the block if it was nice outside. The park down the street with the swings in all different sizes, including one big enough for two people. They went everywhere together, and they spent a long time when they got there. 
They would lie on the grass in the middle of the ball field down the street when it was empty in the late weekday afternoons and watch the sky lose its light. She'd put her hands behind her head just like he did, and they'd lie there, not talking together. Maddie looked just like her father, except she didn't get his height. She was petite with yellow hair and a small nose. Even the way the left side of her mouth went up higher than the right when she smiled was just like his. Her eyes were big and light blue. Her mom had blue eyes, too, but not the same. Maddie couldn't see any of her mother in her. Her mother's face was square and rough and stern all the time. Most of Maddie's friends couldn't understand why her parents were together. Your mom and dad just don't seem like a couple, they'd say. Maddie would shrug. Her mother never missed a parent-teacher conference, even when she had to get off work early. She wouldn't miss an opportunity to criticize Maddie's teachers for giving too much homework or not enough. She thought their assignments, with so much coloring and drawing, were insulting of Maddie's intelligence. Maddie's mother didn't like the language Maddie's classmates were using. Even though she had never heard them swear herself, she knew they must be doing it. And then there were the fees— she hated paying for anything, especially school fees. Isn't that what my tax dollars are going for? Why do we have to pay extra for this field trip? She would batter. Well, you don't, Mrs. Johnson. It isn't a mandatory event. But if you want Maddie to go, it will be $20 per student. And we are accepting contributions for the students who are less fortunate. Her teacher would explain patiently. Oh, so now you think I'm made of money and can pay for the other kids, too. My husband doesn't make any money, okay? I have to support this family all by myself, and it's no easy task. I get up at the crack of dawn and work long hours, overtime all the time, just to keep food on the table. There will not be any $20 field trips for Miss Madeline, at least not until her father starts bringing in some real money. Maddie's father had the same blank stare on his face that Maddie had come to understand did not mean he didn't love her. In the winter of her 12th year, Maddie's grandmother gave the family a trip to Disney World as a Christmas present. Her mother's mother seemed vaguely aware of the emotional nature of her daughter and wanted to help as long as it didn't require actually getting involved. So she bought them all plane tickets and Disney World passes and promised to pay for the hotel room. Everything but the food. Well, how does she expect us to eat while we're there? Her mother had complained to her father. Well, Cookie, we'd have to pay for food anyway, even if we weren't at Disney World. Maddie's mother's real name was Cookie. That was not a nickname her father or anyone else had given her. Her father's name was Ike, a name that seemed to fit him about as well as Cookie fit her mother. You are so stupid, her mother chided. Do you know how much food costs at places like that? She grabbed a generic soda from the fridge, one of the kind that Maddie thought tasted funny and flat, and turned back to glare at him. It's just not that big a deal. Let's just go and enjoy it and let Maddie enjoy it, her father implored, barely holding on to the hope that this would not turn into every other conversation that started out this way. It's always about Maddie. You coddle that girl so much. Do you see that? Do you even see it? I know you just love that she's your little girl. She looks so much like you. I can't stand the sight of her sometimes. Maddie's father glanced to the hallway just as her mother spoke those words. He saw Maddie's big eyes staring at the back of her mother's head. She looked up at him and his eyes smiled, then went to their blank place. 
They packed that April and drove south from their home in Berwick, Pennsylvania, to Orlando. The drive was scary for Maddie, so much time all alone with her parents where she and her father couldn't escape. And driving was a particularly dangerous activity. There was too much possibility for error. Get over, Ike! You better get over now or you're going to miss the exit! He would never question her. He'd just put on his blinker and move over. Sometimes it would be hard to do what she wanted immediately because there was a big truck in the way or something, but he wouldn't point that out to her. When they got to the Contemporary Hotel at Disney World, Maddie got goosebumps. She wandered away from her parents as soon as they walked through the sliding glass doors. She was in awe at the grandeur of it, the newness, the smell of flowers and air conditioning and cookies everywhere. It was the most beautiful place she had ever been in her life. The hotel was huge and modern and bright, and it was connected to the park by a monorail that reminded Maddie of the Jetsons on TV. Her dad seemed to like it as much as she did. Look at this, Maddie, he pointed and walked with her over to the wall of water by the escalator. Isn't that cool? Yeah, Maddie agreed. We can still go over to the park tonight if you want. Maybe your mom will feel like lying down for a little bit, and we can sneak over and scope out where we want to go. I was thinking we should do the haunted house and 20,000 leagues under the sea first because those lines might be really long. Ike, I need your help over here. It was Maddie's mother calling from across the lobby. Her father held up his finger to Maddie to say, I'll be back in one minute, and hurried over to his wife. They did go to the park that night, and the next day, and the day after that. It was on the evening of the third night that things went terribly wrong. They were eating dinner in a restaurant that looked like something out of a Star Trek episode when she noticed her parents were looking at each other without talking. Her mother had put down her fork and was just staring at her father with her mouth open. What? Maddie asked. She usually stopped herself before jumping into these conversations, but she had been looking around at other families in the restaurant and hadn't realized that a fight had started. What? You want to know what? Why don't you tell your daughter what, Ike? Her mother fired off her words like a nail gun. Her father turned to her. It's nothing, honey. There's nothing wrong. Now, what should we do on our last day tomorrow? No, it's not nothing, her mom interrupted. If you won't admit to it, then I'll tell her. Your father was just ogling a young woman over there who is dressed like a tramp. I can't imagine what she thinks she's doing walking around in public with her breasts falling out of her top like that. There are children here. And then you, you humiliate me by staring at her chest like it's the fountain of youth. Cookie, I was not staring at her chest. I didn't even notice the woman until you pointed her out. Don't give me that. That is such a lie. That's all you ever do is lie. Her mother's eyes were starting to get moist. That meant it was worse than usual. Maddie had the urge to comfort her mother, but she was afraid. She was working on getting up the courage to reach out and touch her mom's leg with her hand when her mother stood up from the table. I can't take this anymore. I just can't take it anymore. I hate you, Ike Johnson. I hate you, and I want a divorce. Her mother's face was almost unrecognizable. She grabbed her purse, which caught momentarily on the back of the chair, and stormed out of the restaurant. Maddie's lips started to quiver. Her father stared blankly across the table. Without speaking, he reached out for his daughter's hand. She hesitated, then brought it up and put it in his. They sat together, holding hands, their chicken fettuccine getting colder. When they got back to the hotel, her mother was gone. 
not just gone from the room, gone, gone. Her clothes were gone from the closet. The suitcase was gone from next to the TV. The car keys were gone from the bureau. Maddie's father started to pace around the room. She couldn't have gone, he said unconvincingly. I'm sure she's just blowing off steam. The red light was flashing on their phone. Maddie's dad picked up the phone and pushed the zero button. Yes, this is Ike Johnson in room 1305. My message light is flashing. Thank you. Her father was silent as he listened to the message. His eyes opened just slightly wider, but other than that, he betrayed nothing. He put the receiver back slowly in the cradle. Honey, your mother has left to go back home. Everything is going to be just fine. It's probably all for the better, so we won't have any more scenes like we did tonight. But right now, I need to go take care of some things to get us some transportation. You mean she left without us? Maddie asked, the desperation building. Yes, she did. Her dad seemed almost as shocked as she felt. How are we going to get home, Dad? We don't have any money. Maddie's voice was starting to rise. One of the many things Maddie's mother insisted on controlling was the family money. She did not allow her husband to have or use the credit cards and gave him very little cash, and she never offered it. She made him ask and would usually respond to his halting requests by demanding to know where the $20 was that she had given him yesterday. I don't know how we're getting home yet, honey, his father said, not quite strong enough to get up and leave the room, but I will think of something. It took them two days to make it back to Pennsylvania and would have taken much longer had it not been for the grandfatherly kindness of an old long-haul trucker they met at Denny's. Ike Johnson came from a hard-working, salt-of-the-earth family, the kind of family that went deer hunting as a family every fall and always ate what they killed, plus shared some with the neighbors, the kind of family that would name their older son Frank and their younger son Ike. Even if Ike had never quite taken to hunting, he had learned a lot from his father, and he knew a kind face when he saw one. He approached the man with the craggy nose at the breakfast counter at Denny's, and a half hour later, Maddie was having her first ride in an 18-wheeler. The trucker detoured two hours from his route to take them right to their door in Berwick. Maddie's father's gratitude to this man would last for decades. Two weeks later, Maddie and her dad were sitting in the car outside of her school one afternoon. He had picked her up as usual, but he didn't start the car when she got in. He just sat there. "'What's going on?' Maddie asked. "'Your mother and I are getting a divorce,' he said, quietly, without looking up. His eyes welled up for the second time that month. "'It's okay, Dad,' Maddie was taking it in. She had pictured him saying those words to her for years— but it was still stunning to hear them. It's okay. Don't feel bad. All my friends' parents say they're amazed you and Mom didn't get divorced years ago. Maddie, I'm moving into an apartment tonight. Where? Will I still go to the same school? He didn't say anything. Maddie started to feel hot. You're taking me with you, Dad. You're not leaving me with her, are you? I have to, honey. I'm so sorry. He began to sob. She threatened to make it so I could never see you again if I didn't give her full custody. I can't risk that. No, Dad, no! You can't leave me with her! You can't leave me! Maddie's voice was terrified in the way children are when they still have hope. 
Please, please, Daddy, please don't leave me. Ike sat mute, then reached out to hug his daughter in the awkward way you hug people in cars, but Maddie wouldn't let him. She pulled open the door with a bang and ran, leaving her backpack on the floor of the passenger side. After the divorce, Maddie's father would pick her up every Friday after school and bring her back to her mother's every Saturday night just before bedtime. He rented a little furnished apartment on the second floor of a double house on 2nd Street. He stocked his kitchen with Fruit Loops and grape jelly and goldfish crackers and waited for the weekends. He kept Maddie's new bedroom in his apartment spotless, even got permission to paint its walls baby blue, her favorite color, using a paint-by-numbers brush to detail around the doorframe. He kept little white T-shirts and extra sweatpants in her size in the dresser drawers. Maddie's father started working at the camera shop on Market Street after she moved out. The name of the store in raised wood above the small doorframe was The Camera Shop, the owner of the shop liked how precise and conscientious Ike was. None of the high school kids he had been able to hire in the past for the wage he paid had ever cared so much about the job or the customers. He paid child support to Cookie, $500 a month, going several thousand dollars into debt initially with his newly obtained credit cards until he figured out how to budget. Even with his limited salary, he saved money to take Maddie to restaurants once in a while and to pay her school fees so she didn't have to ask her mother. Maddie took for granted that he would answer the phone whenever she called, especially on Sundays. Her mother would never let her see her father on Sundays, telling her it dishonored the day to spend it with someone unworthy. But she let them talk on the phone. Sometimes they'd just sit and watch the same TV show with the phone to their ears. "'Excuse me, have we forgotten to thank the Lord?' her mother asked accusingly after Maddie had already put several bites in her mouth. Maddie put down her fork. "'Our dear Lord, we are so grateful for the blessings we are about to receive,' her mother said, her voice softer and almost breathy. "'Thank you for this food, Lord, for the ability to provide it, for the strength that gives our bodies. Thank you for staying by our side, Lord, during this difficult time, for not abandoning us like Maddie's father has done.' for helping us to be strong in the face of such cruelty. Stay with us, Lord. Help us make it through this night. Amen. How was school today? Her father asked, after she plopped down on the front seat next to him. Boring, is all she said. What are you reading? He looked down at the thick book on her lap. Shakespeare, she answered, almost apologizing. Shakespeare? Wow, that's impressive. Which one? Hamlet? Really? He replied, pulling out into traffic. What's it about? Well, there's this guy, Hamlet, and he's a prince, and his father just died. Oh, yeah, what did he die from? Her father interrupted. He was murdered, and he wants Hamlet to avenge his death. Wow, her father encouraged. I haven't read it all the way through yet, she explained. Oh, well, it sounds good. It is, she said, a little surprised that she genuinely believed that. It's kind of hard to read with all the to be or not to be stuff, but it's interesting. Yeah, I bet. You're so smart, Maddie. I could never read that. Her father was always putting himself down. Sure you could. You just have to try. Huh. Her dad seemed thoughtful as they made their way back to his apartment. Six months after her parents' divorce, Maddie spent most of her time in her room in both her parents' houses. She was used to throwing things in a bag and lugging it to her father's every weekend. 
She hated how her parents fought, but she liked that she didn't have to be in the same room with both of them at the same time anymore. Her mother let her be more and more as time passed. It was only once or twice a week now that she would come into Maddie's room, stand in her doorway, and start an hour-long conversation with, How do you put up with that man every weekend? How can you forgive him for what he did to us? Look, you're the one who screamed at him that you wanted a divorce. Maddie finally snapped back at her one late Saturday night after she got home from her dad's. Oh, is that what he has you believing now? Mom, Maddie said matter-of-factly, I was there. Maddie, this is Samantha. There was a woman sitting in the front seat next to Maddie's dad. She just moved here from Florida a few months ago. She works in the bank across the street from the camera shop. Hi, Maddie said, not used to getting into the back seat. Samantha had a big smile and turned to face Maddie. Hi, Maddie. I've heard so much about you. Oh? Maddie wondered when she had heard so much about her. You're even prettier in person, Samantha added nervously. I thought we'd all go out to eat tonight. Maddie's dad suggested as they drove away from her mother's house. Okay, Maddie hesitated. At Kemmler's diner, Samantha asked lots of questions. What was Maddie studying in school? Was she ever going to try out for the play? Were there any cute boys in her class? Her dad had never asked her that. I don't know, Maddie looked away. None that would notice me. Good, Maddie's father jumped in. Samantha and Maddie smiled at each other. It felt weird. After that night, Samantha came on their Friday night dates a lot, and she came over to watch TV with them on Saturdays. Sometimes she'd come to the movies with them or get ice cream from the little place next to the Methodist church. She was always around, it seemed. Maddie was starting to get that she was her dad's girlfriend, and she was starting to worry about her mother finding out. Maddie her father said to her one Saturday morning after scrambled eggs with cheese. Samantha is going to be your stepmom. He exhaled so shakily it sounded like he had asthma. We've decided to get married, and we'd like you to come to the wedding. What? You can't get married. You've only been divorced for like five minutes. Maddie didn't want to, but she felt her eyes start to tear. Your mother and I were unhappy for years before the divorce. You know that. And Samantha is the most wonderful woman I've ever known. I know she will bless our lives, not just mine, but yours too. Yeah, yeah, she's an angel. Maddie didn't like the way she sounded, like a bad character in an after-school movie. But I can't marry her if it's not all right with you. You are the single most important thing in my life. I need to know that you're okay with it. Sure, Maddie shrugged and pushed her eggs around, then got up and went to her room and shut the door.